Welcome to Daily Living for Christ, 86,400 seconds in a day. Imagine the possibilities of what your life would become if you dedicated an additional 60 seconds each day to walk closer with Christ. Well, that's what we're here for. We are here to partner with you on your journey to drawing closer to Christ. 86,400 seconds. Are you ready? 86,400 seconds. Are you ready to become what Christ has already declared you are? Let's jump in now. And again, welcome and thank you for uh, being here today in this session. And before I do anything, I just want to give God all the praise for health in our bodies and life in our bodies and the opportunity that Every day that we get to live is a day that Christ gets to flow through us or we get to become the conduit of his love, his joy, his peace, and his presence to the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So as we dive into or start Romans 13, it's important to understand in in Romans 13, what Paul did right, right in the last, in chapter 12, he taught the Roman church, he taught them how to live amongst their family and how to live amongst their neighbors who are hostile towards them. So basically he taught them how to live in today's environment, right? (laughs) He, he, He taught them to live in situations or circumstances that weren't always good. That's what Romans 12 was all about. Now, as he comes into chapter 13, he will share more about the government because you have to understand the Roman government ruled. And what Paul was basically saying to them, he wanted to give them instructions on how to live in the midst of a government that was hostile, right? And because they they were Christians, they knew that they, and this is important to grab a hold of this, they knew now that they were not of this world, but they had to live in this world. But some of the people inside of the church started to think, hey, if we're not of this world, we don't have to pay taxes. We don't have to do this. We don't have to do that. See, there were a number of different things that they were thinking that they no longer had to do. And Paul is saying, wait a minute here. First of all, we don't want to be seen as one of these arrogant, zealous religious groups. This is not, this is not the gospel that Christ came. Because remember, Jesus, when they came to him and he said, hey, you need to pay your taxes. He said, okay, go fishing and get the money to pay taxes. So Jesus paid taxes. He didn't avoid taxes. He paid taxes and he and he honored the government. He didn't try to overthrow the government. Notice he could have brought legions down to save him from that cross, 
but he did what he was supposed to do to fulfill God's love to us as a people. So when you get into uh, Romans 13, you get this great understanding that Paul is sharing with us. So I'm, I will probably just go to chapter verse seven here. I'll just spend a little bit of time here. So the first thing in, in, in verse one, here's what Paul says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authority. No, look, look what he said here. Not, not some people. He said, let every person be subject to the governing authority. So he says, do not. So what is he saying? He says, don't think that you're above the authority that's in place. Because you, you must understand that as a, as, a, as a believer, as a Christian, as a person that is a follower of Christ, God revealed, he said in Romans 8, this is where, man, this, when you just connect all these dots, this becomes so clear. Remember in Romans 8, Paul said, he said, from him and to him and through him are all things. And without him, nothing will exist or nothing exists. So Paul is building on this understanding or building on this new information that he's sharing with them to say now, hey, by the way, the government that's in play is only in play because God allowed it to be in play. But what we must understand today, as they did in biblical times, and even as we came through the dark ages or the church came all the way through all of the struggles and everything that happened to the church, God is the sovereign authority over the earth. So God at any particular time can move and wipe out everything. He gave us two examples of that. So if he's choosing not to, there's a purpose for this. So in verse one, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authority. For there is no authority except by God's appointment. Look at these words. There is no authority except by God's appointment. And the authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Just let those words go in, right? So when we think about as a nation where we are and the discourse that's happening between red and blue states and, and different parties and all those things, if we come back to the source of our constitutional rights, which is in God, and we read this, this will help us understand that God is in play in everything that is happening. Just think about this. As he said, it would not even exist 
if God didn't put it in play. And everything that exists, it's been instituted by God. Now watch this here. And he says, so, verse 2, so the person who resists such authority resists the ordinance of God. So he's like saying, hey, if you resist this, the government, then you're resisting the very essence of God's moral principles that he's established. And then he says, and those who resist will incur judgment. Isn't this incredible how he's saying, wait a minute, you could be born again, you could be following God, but if you resist the government, he's seeing that you're like everyone else that's going to be facing judgment. And, and, and look what he says here. You're, he says, and those who resist will incur judgment for the rulers cause no fear for good conduct but for bad. You see what he's saying? He's saying, hey, listen, the government's in place, but if you honor the government and you do what's good and you do what's right as is unto the Lord, you have no fear of judgment. You have no fear to even think about any judgment or anything that's coming down. You don't have to look over your shoulders. You don't have to look, you know, be afraid. You don't have to do any of those things. And he says, do you desire not to fear authority? Do good and you will receive its commendation. For it is God's servant for your good. Just think about that. But. If you do wrong, be in fear, for it does not bear the sword in vain. It is God's servant to administer retribution on the wrongdoer. Therefore, this is verse 5, therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of the wrath of the authorities, but also because of your conscience. Now, if you tie this together, because of those, your conscience, where is God at? The God is living inside of our heart. And the, the, that old man would try to come up and to bring up the old or to bring in that condemnation. And what is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, if you honor the government like you honor God, your heart and your conscience will always remain clean. You have no fear. You will live in the peace and in the presence of God. In verse 6, he says, for this reason, You also pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants. 
devoted, I mean, devoted to governing. Pay everyone what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect whom respect is due. And honor to whom honor is due. Now, what does this remind you of? It brought me right back to the Beatitudes. Judge, and you shall not be judged. Love, and you shall receive love. You see what Paul's saying here? He says, the principle remains the same, right? It's the, it's the seed principle. Whatever you put out is what you will get back. And if you put it out bountifully, you're going to get it back bountifully. If you put out love, you're not going to get hate back. You're going to get love back. If you put out joy, you're going to get joy back. If you put out peace, you're going to get peace back. So he says, pay. Why? What does pay mean? Pay means to put out or to give everyone what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes. Revenue to whom revenue, respect to whom respect, and honor to whom honor is due. So God, and what Paul is saying through God, what God is saying through Paul here is, is no matter what happens in the environment, honor God by honoring what he's put in place. Man, isn't this something that we could really like, you know what I'm saying? Like could really just move forward through our nation at this particular time by saying, if we honor the authorities in play, we are honoring our father. Isn't that incredible? If we honor the authorities that are in place, we're honoring our father. If we honor our bosses, our leaders, right? If we honor them, we're honoring God. It's amazing. So now what I want to do is I want to read this. Verse one through eight. I want to read it again through the J.B. Phillips translation the New Testament and modern English. And I, w- I want you to get this. It says, every Christian ought to obey the civil authorities for all legitimate authority is devar- de- derived from God's authority and the existing authority is appointed under God. To oppose authority then is to oppose God. And such opposition is bound to be punished. The honest citizen has no need to fear the keepers of the law and order, but the dishonest man will always be nervous of them. If you want to avoid this anxiety, Just lead a law-abiding life, and all that 
can come your way is a word of approval. The officer is God's servant for your protection. But if you are leading a wicked life, you have reason to be alone. The power of the law, which is vested in every legitimate officer, is no empty phrase. He is, in fact, divinely appointed to inflict God's punishment on evil doers. You should therefore obey the authorities, not simply because it is the safest, but because it is the right thing to do. It is right, too, for you to pay taxes, for the civil authority are appointed by God for good purposes of public order and well-being. Give everyone his legitimate due, whether it be rates or taxes or reverence or respect. Just think about that. So that actually sheds a whole lot of or sheds more light on what Paul is saying here. And the one thing I want you to see is you're starting to get a, 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 a an in-depth look into what's going on inside of the Roman church. You're starting to see what's happening and what's what's developing or what's occurring inside of the church. And what Paul is saying here, I, I like to say it this, let me read from my notes. Paul is saying there, the way Paul argues his case tells us about the problems developing in the Roman church. Apparently, some claim that their submission to Jesus superseded their submission to non-church authority. As citizens of God's kingdom, they no longer needed to submit to the civil laws of Rome or to pay taxes. So Paul confronts this line of reasoning with a blunt command. Let every being be in submission to superior authority. He corrects their faulty thinking with the general principle of life. Every living being, I grab this down, right? I want you to hold on to this. Every living being in submission. No, wait, I'm sorry. He corrects the faulty authority with the general principle of life. Every living being is called to submission, not just to God, but to those human leaders placed in authority. By choosing the word soul for the subject of this command, he expands its application to include all living 
beings. The word is used in the creation account in Genesis so that we're aware of this for both animals and humans. It essentially means those beings which draw God's breath every day. So this is what is the most amazing thing, and I'm not going any further into this. Throughout the Bible, we, we hear about submission, and, 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 and Paul speaks on submission, and we understand that we are to submit one to another. But what most people fail to understand is on this earth, we all live in submission to God. And here's the thing. If you can't submit one to another, you'll never be able to submit to God. Right? Think about it. What is a Christian? A Christian is an individual that has submitted their life to Christ. So as a Christian, we are living or let me, let me, let me, let me, let me put this in proper perspective. We are supposed to be living a submitted life to Christ and others. And this is what Paul is now bringing them to this understanding. He talked about it in, in, in the church uh, when he wrote the letter to Ephesians, he talked about it when he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, to the Thess- Thessalonians. Throughout the New Testament, Paul is constantly reminding people about submission because he's saying, if you cannot submit one to another, let's not get this mixed up. You will not be able to, and you are not submitting to God. So you can say, only God I submit to. No, God's saying, that's not how this works. You must submit to those that are right there with you first as a part of your submission to me. This is why Jesus came and he said, notice in the Gospels, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Donald's version of that is saying, Jesus is saying, I did not come to kick the law out. I came to submit to the law and introduce you to the new law, which is in me. So I'm going to stop right there because I'm, I'm getting a little winded, but I, I'm, I'm going to stop right there. So May this word just cause you this week to think on something that's bigger than yourself. Think about those relationships that maybe you haven't given everything or all that you needed to give in those relationships. That the presence of God can show up in them. And as we submit one to another, Remember, our end result is that as a reflection of our submission and our love 
for our Father and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this episode of Daily Living for Christ, where we have one purpose, and that's to partner with you on your daily walk with Christ. Before you go, I have two questions I want to throw out to you. First, what insights did you gain from this episode? And number two, how will you apply those new insights in your daily walk with Christ? Remember, awareness leads to choice and choice leads to a decision. There's 86,400 moments in a day. 86,400 moments in a day. Let today be the day that you increase by one more moment with Christ. Until next time, I'm out.